0: Hello and welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Alpha Podcast. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined today again by Phil Oakley. How are you doing, Phil? Yeah, I'm alright, thanks, John. How are you doing this week? What do you think? You're looking at the markets. Are they uh, are they still sort of troubling you as they have been for a number of weeks? No, they're not.
1: They're not troubling me. I um I think they would they would trouble me if I was a trader. Uh, you know, I think uh, I think the levels of volatility are, you know quite you know quite troubling if you are you know making short-term bets on on movements in in share prices um but for a long long a long-term investing approach which is sort of where I'm coming from um no I'm not I'm not really letting it spook me out I'm sort of keep asking myself whether I'm just too too calm about it or and am too complacent and um I just think I don't think I am. I just I just think you just got to try and tune out from the noise and just concentrate on on what companies are doing and what results they're producing and stick with it.
0: Indeed, indeed. So we're going to talk today about uh, Domino's Pizza. Uh, Morrison's and the London Stock Exchange, which are all um, good businesses. I mean, talking to good businesses. Before we do, one thing I have noticed in recent weeks: a couple of companies we've talked about a lot—Gaines um, Workshop, Avon Rubber—they've both both sold off quite sharply. Um, you know, and I do wonder what you know what's happening to these these quality stocks that you know that people have been so keen on for such a long time.
1: Well, it depends on who you talk to. I mean. Some some people will say that you know that expensive stocks um, have come under pressure because of things like higher interest rates. I I think there is a lot of rotation going on. I think that I think there is. It's it's, it's interesting. I, I I think there's a lot of. I'm trying to think of the word here. I'm not sure it's a panic, but. I think there's a lot of a lot of professional fund managers who are looking at their portfolio, and uh, you know they've they've been invested in a certain type of share that's done quite well um, for quite a long time, and it's now it's not been doing well, and there's an element of trying to you know jump off one thing and onto another, um, so there is there is a rotation going on from the sort of high priced quality growth stocks for want of a better phrase towards a sort of more cyclical domestic focused economically sensitive type stocks that can benefit from an end to lockdown and sort of the huge amounts of stimulus that governments are are throwing at the the economy and i and i think there's a lot of
0: that going on do, do you think those companies, I mean, they're, they're still great companies, you know. You, you yeah. know whereas the companies that, that, as you say, people are roti- rotating into, in many cases, are not great companies. Do you do you think this is, you know, it's, it's it's a sort of slightly lazy narrative that people are jumping on board, and actually, this is leaving an opportunity in some of the some of the, these quality companies that, that you know we've admired for so long.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, whether it's lazy, I, I, I don't know. I think it's just symptomatic of of the way that professional money management may work and also the sort of inner workings of the of the human psyche that a lot of people don't like to see stuff going down it has a has a big effect on their on the way that they feel and this is this this is one of the most dangerous things that the certainly the private investor um, has to cope with and this is probably why they shouldn't look at share prices too often um in terms of opportunity, yeah, I think there has been has been some opportunity in in certain certain companies and certain shares. And um yeah, it's been quite quite a good time to, to pick up pick up certain certain shares.
0: Have you uh, have you been dabbling with a fantasy sip in the last couple of weeks?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got some um I added some rent a kill.
0: Okay. What's the what's the thinking behind that?
1: Long, I think the long-term, long-term dynamics of the pest control market, um, in terms of growth, in terms of consolidating the market, um, the kind of profits that you can make from that um, are still very good. And you know, Rent-A-Kill came off what ten percent or more um, in a very short period of time. It's still not a cheap share um but it's one that I think I think that you know has good good long term long term potential. I mean Games Workshop which we talk about a lot you know that came back that's come back from like what almost like 120 to like nearly 90 and you know it's one that provokes a lot of debate and you know I think things have happened very quickly on that one in the last Twelve months or so, and there isn't there is an amount of you know uncertainty as to you know where it goes from here, but it remains an excellent business and um you know this is this is the you know this is the difficult bit you know staying the course and sticking sticking to your guns and i think it's I think it's very important that you know you can't really chop and change your style too much. I think if you are investing, I think you have to find something that's comfortable for you and and stick with it and accept that from time to time it's not going to work for you and it's going to feel a bit uncomfortable.
0: Mm. Well, equally, I would say that, you know, trying to ride the, the value rotation could equally be uncomfortable. And, you know, there's a few few sleepless nights to be had there. I mean, you're talking about some companies. We don't really know exactly how the economy is going to reopen from lockdown. So, so I think there's more unknowns there than anywhere else.
1: I think there is. And I think there's also certain, certain shares where, you know, the share price has almost got back to where it was pre-COVID. Yeah, you know, I think Intercontinental Hotel is a good example of this. You know, which is almost which took a real battering, um, and has and has you know got within sort of ten percent of its previous high, and um, you know the profits are still a long way from from coming back. I think the thing about the sort of value rotation as well is that you know you can get a repricing and a revaluation of these businesses. Then what happens? You know, then what? Then where? 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 Where's the upside from there? The advantage of buying buying growth businesses, even even if the valuation seems or appears to be quite high, is that these businesses keep on growing. They can deliver reasonable long term results, um, and this is why you know growth growth is growth and the passage of time is what the investor's friend really is. And, you know, that's the question you've got to ask if you're playing value. What happens when you've got back to what people think fair value is? What takes the share price on to the next level?
0: Absolutely. Get rich slow. That is the uh, the motto for the uh, the IC. The unofficial motto of the IC. And um, should we talk yeah, about, should we yeah. talk about um, uh, the companies that we, uh, we mentioned earlier? So which one do you want to start with, Phil?
1: Well, I thought Morrison's, which came out this morning, is uh, I think re- really quite interesting.
0: Yeah, they they weren't brilliant. The results. I mean, you know, the supermarkets have been generally perceived as like one of the benef- beneficiaries of of lockdown, but but it but it hasn't really shone through in the numbers. Yeah, but I think I think when you sort of dig
1: into this, um, I, I think there's quite a lot to like here. I mean. Don't get me wrong, you know, I'm not saying that Morrisons is one of these sort of long-term growth stocks. It's going you can hold for years and it's going to make you rich. Don't think don't think that's going to happen. It'd be nice if it was. But I think if you if you look into this, um, there's some really quite positive things things going on. You know, if you strip out you know the covid effects, you know, the profits would have been up Probably I don't know six seven percent, which is all right. Um, what 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 fascinates me here is that there seems to have been a change of mindset here, and I think that this was a business. If you, if you look at look, look at two things, look at the core supermarkets business, and then look at the sort of online wholesale stuff, and. If you look in the core cool supermarket business, not so long ago, I think you could have looked at Morrison's and you could have worried. It was it was losing market share. Um, you know, it was right in the line of fire against the likes of Aldi and Little, And um it's fighting back really well. Um it, it it's getting back to you know what it's been good at, which is the you know it has a lot of it makes a lot of its own food. it It's very good at taking the the middleman, the third party out of the supply chain, and it you know we've seen it by a you know a fishing business in recent weeks, and it's also bought you know like a nursery business, plant nursery, not not a childcare one. and, um, and it's leveraging that. It's leveraging that, it's using using it to offer value prices, good value prices get the volume through and use the operational leverage so taking the sales base get getting the sales volume on the fixed costs, getting the profits reinvesting those profits back into lower prices and keep the volume going and I think you know the sales were very good, but actually the volume was actually more than the sales growth, so they were selling more by cutting prices and that looks to be putting this business in a in a much better position in terms of its competitive positioning in the marketplace and i think that's a good thing and i think if they can keep this going then you've got the basis for the for the core supermarket business x online here to to actually to actually start growing
0: again. I mean, so, so, so the core market business is obviously interesting. That's the kind of supermarket of old that we might've invested in, but isn't the excitement here in the online side of things, the tie up with Amazon, um, the possibility yeah. of a takeover even at some point.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's where the excitement is in this. And Morrison's online is, I, I think what makes Morrison's online quite interesting is it's, it seems to be seems to have several strings to its bow. So it's got this tie up with Ocado for the sort of Morrisons.com dot com business where it it uses the Ocado fulfillment centers um at Dorden and at Erith or Erith And uses the sort of in-store picking technology. And you know there was something in the results which I thought was really good actually. And um also, credit to Ocado here, which I've not always spoken kindly about. You know, Morris, and you know, a combination of Morrisons and Ocado. And what happened is that Morrisons wrote down the value of some of its stores because it thought that their profitability was, you know, had been impaired and was, you know, was lower going forward than it had been in the past. And what's happened is that these in store picking um, for the online business has revitalised some some of the profits of these stores, so that the previous write down has come back. So the software and the solutions and the and the volume of trade has caused a step change in the economic performance of these stores, and I think that's really bullish.
0: It is bullish, but, it, but actually possibly quite kind of more bullish for Ricardo. I mean, if that's a demonstration that its technology can can improve the profitability of the people that it's working with, then then that's good.
1: Possibly. Yeah. I mean, what we don't get is we don't get the quantum of what these profits are. Um, And also, I think the fact that you are taking it's it's a recovery situation rather than, you know, doing something on a more normal base. But, yeah, fair, fair play. You know, this is this is something, you know, one of my concerns about Cardo is, you know, that it. It doesn't transform the economics. Mainly it does in picking. Does in picking, but it doesn't in delivery. It doesn't take the delivery side out of it. Which is where I think the problem was on with is with online. Now Arcado's got something that's very good in picking. And I think that's been shown up in the in the Morrisons results.
0: Well I mean a lot of people don't wanna don't wanna have stuff delivered anyway. So I mean, you know, the, the, the ideal model in online seems to be click and collect. And you know a lot of mics do this, so so this could work.
1: Yeah, yes, yes, it could. And and I think this is this is where I think online grocery has to go, because the, the I'm not convinced that the average household or there are enough households that are willing to pay the delivery fee that's needed to make delivery stack up from a margin return on investment point of view. So so the business model moves towards click and collect. Before we get on to that, I think the other interesting thing about Morrisons Online is it's got two other partnerships. So it's got the Morrisons at Amazon, so where Amazon Prime members can come in and get same day or next day delivery on groceries through through Amazon and um, so it comes through the stores and delivered i think my i think it's delivered by Amazon so i think that's a quite a good relation and that's going really well it's been it's been it's in 50 stores at the moment yet the amazon side of it is already accounting for 10% of the sales in those stores, which is good.
0: Which is kind of, kind of sort of contradicts what we were saying about delivery. But then if you want to work with any delivery partner, it's got to be Amazon. They're the people that know how to make delivery profitable.
1: Um, And then the other one is that they've got um, a partnership with Deliveroo as well. And um, that's sort of offering things like, you know, even like 30 minute delivery. Um, So there's some interesting, innovative things, things going on here. I think going back to the, the, the Amazon thing, now, I, you know, this Amazon Morrison's potential takeover is, you know, it's not, you know, it's a lot of people, have, you know, talking about this, thinking about this. And I think that there's, it's quite credible because of the economics, because of the click and collect. And what, what we've seen um, certainly in America and certainly in Amazon with their Whole Foods business is that they are trialing something called a dark store concept, where something that used to be a supermarket that was open to the general public becomes like a, a hub, a warehouse, a fulfillment center, whatever you want to call it, for click and collect. And um, you know, companies like Costco as well are sort of not doing dark stores, but looking at what they call curbside, curbside collection. And Walmart as well is, is doing a lot of IT into curbside. And I think this is, this is where it goes. And, of course, who's got the advantage for click and collect? It's the supermarkets, which have got lots and lots of stores across the country. And not only can they do click and collect, but also they can do shorter, long-term, uh, shorter local delivery from it. So the delivery cost, you know, in terms of the density of your delivery route, Gets better, whereas Acado at the moment has got this sort of hub and spoke, where you know the deliveries are coming from, you know, potentially a lot further away, which makes it makes it harder. So, the existing relationship that Morrison's has got with Amazon and its supplying um, the Amazon Fresh store. I don't if you saw the Amazon Fresh store that opened in Ealing a week or so ago, where you can. Well, you can walk out without going through the till. It does it all for you. You know, you're almost like almost like you're a shoplifter. You can only get in if you are a prime member. You get like something on your app.
0: It's your bouncers. And then
1: when you when you're putting stuff in your trolley, um, it prices it up for you. You walk out and. Uh, Find out you've been charged twice
0: as much. I, I must admit, I did. I did think that that uh, that opening, that Amazon shop opening, was it was kind of an indication of their intentions towards the UK food market. They want it. They want. They want a part of it.
1: I, I I think so. It's just getting it. It's just getting it to work, isn't it? That's the thing. It's getting. It's getting a business model. You know. You you, you know. You're working in a in an, an industry which has very low profit margins already.
0: Yeah, but and it, but it's changing. Technology is changing like it's changing everything. But I, I think it's really an interesting example of the fact that you know, despite the the kind of incredible hope that is is attached to, to tech companies, they kind of don't exist in in a, in a vacuum. The real world still exists, and, and here we have an example that that supermarkets have a very important role to play in a tech driven future of, of food distribution. It is it is fascinating. Um, should we talk about uh, Domino's talking about delivery? um who unsurprisingly have had some reasonably decent numbers as everyone sat at home stuffing their face with pizza whiling where the hours, yeah comfort eating um you're not convinced though that this is a, a sustainable trend
1: no i'm not i think i think the the problem that has plagued domino's for the last few years hasn't gone away and and, and the, pro- the problem is quite simple is that there is a Conflict of interest between Domino's and its franchisees in that Domino's makes the vast majority of its profit from selling pizza ingredients and other other bits and bobs to its franchisees um, rather than making profits from stores, which is what its franchisees are about. So Domino's can sell more pizza by expanding the size of its system and it needs to do that. Um, by making sure that the uh, the franchisees still think it's it's worthwhile opening new shops, and fran- the franchisees are also very powerful because a, a large chunk of of the stores are concentrated in you know a few big franchisees, and they've got they've got a lot of clout, and they're a bit grumpy because I think they you know they look at the margin that, that Domino's is making on on providing ingredients pizza ingredients and they look at their their margin and they look at how you know things like Opening new stores down the road from existing stores takes away sales from them they they 're a bit fed up
0: mm. but this has been this has been rumbling on for a long long time um i mean we, yeah. we haven 't heard you know the, the shares came under an enormous amount of pressure when when this uh, dispute first surfaced, and you know it, it rumbled on for a while it seems to have gone away. I think everyone you know it, like sort of Just Eat, who reported some numbers yesterday, the fast food boom has caused everyone to forget that actually this dispute, this this kind of like existential dispute for, for Domino's is still going on. Um, are they closer to a resolution?
1: Maybe a bit closer than they were. Um, I mean, the, the company was quite, you know, did say a bit more than it normally did. You know, it's, it's trying to offer more rebates, on food, it's trying to offer incentives to open new stores. Um, but in return, it wants franchisees to pay more money back into what's called the National Advertising Fund, which is a pot of money that it's profit neutral. It's, it's, a, it's a wash through, but they want them to put more money back. And I, quite clearly that the franchisees have not bought this yet. Um, the problem is this. Both sides cannot win. It's very difficult to get to a solution where both sides think they've got a good deal. Franchisees think they're getting a bad deal at the moment. And Domino's, because, you know, if you look at their profit or EBITDA, they're under $20 million of EBITDA last year, 100 million of it came from the supply chain. So, you know, how much of that margin are they prepared to give away when they've got shareholders who want it to keep growing its profits every year? And this is this is the source of the friction. And, you know, it's where the dominoes, dominoes obviously doesn't want to give away too much of its margin. And so we're stuck in the stalemate. And um, it also means, you know, that, this business has toned down, I, uh, toned down. You know how big it expects to be. You know, it's not so long ago it was talking about 1,600 stores. It's got 1,200 at the moment, and now it's talking of you know maybe 1,400 stores.
0: I'm, I'm looking at the share. I'm looking at the share price, Phil, and they've gone nowhere in five years. I mean, the share price yeah. is literally where it was five years ago.
1: Let, let's be fair here. This this is a good business. You know, it's very profitable. Um, it's got, you know, I think as a customer, I think its app is very good. It's it's got excellent deli- excellent delivery, very fast delivery, much faster than perhaps off, you know, ordering from somewhere else. And so that's, you know, it's got a good brand. It's got it's vertically integrated, got a well invested supply chain. It's got a lot of things going for it. But I think I think it, you know it shows you that you've got to get behind the numbers. You no, know, it's all very well looking at profitable business so you've got to look at growth and you've got to look at how the company achieves its profits
0: well i th- i think you know you, what you said getting behind the company not just getting behind the numbers but you know this the, the, this is like this is strategy stuff this is this is soft stuff that doesn't you never read about and you know you can't see that in numbers but the dispute with with uh with its uh, franchisees you know the market is is competitive you know just has said had some numbers a couple of days ago they are spending so much money on advertising so much money I mean, how does how does Domino's compete with that? No wonder it's asking for more money for the for the central fund. You see,
1: it's exactly that's a very good point. You see, the other thing as well as is, is it's you know if I, you know if you look at all these aggregators, these you know these online takeaway companies, it's, it's so much easier for Just Eat, Delivery, Uber Eats to sign up restaurants than it is for Domino's to build a new one and open a new one. So much easier. Um, you know, and it's clear that, you know, if you look at the, the numbers from Just Eat, uh, I mean, obviously it doesn't cover just pizza. Um, but, you know, your, your guess is that, you know, an educated guess would be that Domino's, despite having strong figures, is losing market
0: share. Maybe. I mean, do you know what? There's, there, there is like a, a sort of customer experience thing here. I mean, I've ordered from Domino's loads of times and never really had a problem with them. Never, ever had a problem with them. Uh, and I highly recommend the eight meat pizza to, to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Unless <laughs> like you're a vegetarian. Unless <laughs> you're a vegetarian. Have ate vegetable pizza? Not quite as good, but give it a try. Um, but, but but I've used Just Eat twice, and both times it's been an absolute nightmare. And, you know, they don't have control of the restaurants who are delivering their orders. And so, see, the, the experience of Domino's is, is, is significantly better. They can control it in a way that, that Just Eat and Do- and Deliveroo can't with their partners. It, I, I don't know. I think this again, it still feels like a, a, a situation that's playing out, and we don't know where it's going to end.
1: But I think you made some really good points. Um, you know, Domino's does have some good things going for it, um, just needs to, to sort things out. I thought it was really interesting as well, though, that the, the chief executive has, has alluded to, uh, you know, well, not even alluded, he's actually said he thinks they've got a there's a perception that Domino's is still too expensive and that's something that he needs to change. And that's quite a problem because it is expensive. I mean, no one in their right mind would pay pay the menu prices for Domino's. And, and of course, they don't. 91% of the orders are on promotion. But there's there's work to do here. I think the company are trying trying hard to sort this out. I still think what's it and it's clear that the market is growing. Or, well, what we don't know is what happens to this market when the restaurants and the pubs open up again. Because I think it's very, diffi- it's very difficult to judge this market right
0: now. No, I think I think you're right, but then, but at, but at the same time, you know, Domino's always did well when there were sporting events on. You know, we, we haven't really had those sort of sporting get-togethers that that we've had. So, you know, I mean, it it was doing well when we didn't have lockdown. You would expect it to do well when when we uh, when when lockdown lifts again. So I, I don't know. It's, um, maybe, I mean, you know, I think you're right about the deals thing. I, uh, something that, that has cropped up time and time again over the years is the concept of everyday low prices. So, so rather than, you know, constantly promoting, actually just make your products, price them like they should be. Um, and yeah, yeah. you know, maybe that's, maybe that's the trick. Maybe that's the trick.
1: Well, I, I, I agree.
0: Um, uh, let's talk about the London Stock Exchange, the venue for all of these shares. Uh, Again, it's, it's it's another one of those companies, the qual the, the kind of quality companies, the moat company that we all wanted to hold. Um, has the numbers this week? How are they looking?
1: Well, I think a lot of people were not that impressed. Um, I think I think I think they looked at the number. I think the the two things, two things, and I, I I'm quite shocked. In some ways, I'm shocked, and some ways I'm not. But the share these shares have come off by you know more than a fifth since last week. And I think the numbers were okay. You know, operating profit was up about 5%, but they were no more than okay. But, you know, all right, solid. You know, it's, I think what, what spooked people is this, the, the deal to, to buy Refinitiv, so, which is, you know, a financial data workstation business. Yeah, we use it. And, we're a
0: customer.
1: Yeah. And there's no doubt this is a very good business. And um, I think what people don't like is is that the, the company came out and said they were going to spend about a billion pounds on this to integrate it and get all the IT and invest for growth, and it sort of got people questioning about you know the financial targets and the returns from from the acquisition. But I think I, I'm not saying that's not not a legitimate concern, but I think. It, in some ways, it misses the point. On this, this is a great deal for London's d-
0: market. I agree. I, I, th- I was about to say, I think it's missing the point. Um, you know, I, I spoke to people about this deal, and you know, I, I heard through the grapevine that you know there was there were serious attempts from across the industry to stop this happening. You know, and if people are trying to stop a yeah. deal happening, uh, competitors are trying to stop a deal happening. It's a good deal for the person that's doing the deal. Yeah,
1: I mean this. Is, I mean this is this completely. You know, changes the the makeup of the business. I mean, it's had the FTSE Russell indices business and the data that goes with it, which is which is one of the reasons I liked it. You combine this with Refinitive, and you look at the you know the potential growth in data analytics, workflow, uh, remote working, which is where the investment's going in, um, and things like electronic data feeds and that kind of thing. Then this is this business is in a great position, you know. You, you you start look you you move the business away from a volatile, unpredictable stock market revenues to a more subscription, highly profitable data and analytics business, and you know I I just think there's a lot to like about this. And, you know, it's plugged in, you know, you look at the business, it's plugged in, there's cost savings, there's cross-selling between Refinitiv and and FTSE Russell. You've got the growth in things like ETFs, passive investing, which all, all suit benchmarking. And this is a business that's, you know, going to be the number two sort of financial market data business. It's going to be the number one in terms of clearing. It's got fantastic local stock market positions, capital market positions. And the valuations come off. You know, the shares have come
0: off 20%. Do you, do you know what? I was also told that, I mean, you say all these wonderful, yeah, you it know, has all these wonderful attributes. But, but I was also told by a contact who shall remain nameless that, that actually behind the scenes, this business is an absolute mess. Um, you know, when you're dealing with these complicated data businesses, you know, you said you'd be amazed. Uh, like just, just how, how all over the place it actually is. So, so it doesn't surprise me that they need to spend a lot of money to to kind of do this integration and get everything right but if they do that my goodness what is this going to look like then
1: the thing is as well the, these these are businesses that have got you know quite a lot of pricing power and you usually you don't you don't tend to get a lot of skin between you know between products you do you get some depending on what your use is but yeah I mean I, I I think it's you know it's not it's not all rosy you know there are there are things that need sorting out here I think people are going to have to wait a bit longer for the for the benefits to come through but i I just think it's a nice business they don't they, I don't think they've overpaid for it I, I think that they've. It's you know it's better now than it was before, and it's exposed to some nice trends. You know, we talk a lot about about data and how you know how you know how well they do. And um, whilst you know this is a, a kind of specific data play, an analytics play, there's still the same. I, I think there's still the same sort of attractive value point. That can come out, come out of this. Yeah, I, th- I think you know, I think there are definitely grounds for thinking that perhaps a share price got ahead of itself.
0: Yeah, but then, uh, how many share prices didn't? What, what do you make feel of the, uh, the 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 hill the hill review? I mean, talking of stock markets, this this um this big review that we've been waiting for for a long time, um, being talked about all over the place, designed to obviously attract a different slightly different type of company to the London market, tech companies, SPACs, obviously a big trend out in the US improving access for retail investors to IPOs and placings and that kind of stuff could be a big change for the market and good news for the stock exchange. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely anything, certainly from a private investor point of view. um, I think anything that improves that their ability to sort of level up with, with with professional investors is, is, is obviously very welcome um in terms of in terms of you know getting certain types of company to list on here, i'm not so sure i i uh i'm not so sure about these spacs i'm not, not convinced that they're a force for good um i i think that you know certainly london stock exchange has got enough enough existing business to keep it happy
0: yeah yeah absolutely having said that it is a bit tech light you know, and we've just talked about the London Stock Exchange, which is arguably, you know, in the modern sense, a technology business, given that data is at its core. Um, but 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 the London Stock Exchange is still a bit bit tech light. I mean, do you, do you, we, we probably should have a bit more tech rep representation on the, on the London markets?
1: Yeah, I think that's true. But it's not. But it's not. The London Stock Exchange is not just about shares, is it? You know, it's foreign exchange, fixed income, government bonds. I mean, you know, government bonds have been a really nice earner for the uh, London Stock Exchange the last 12 months, you know, because of all the issuance that's been going on. And that's not going to that's not going to end any time soon.
0: Indeed. Anyway, Phil, um, thank you very much, Phil. It's been an, been an absolute pleasure talking to you as, uh, as always. We've got a plan for the weekend. Nine, nine, nine meat pizza. Nine meat pizza. No, no,
1: no. I, I had a pizza on Monday. <laughs> I'll be out my bike hopefully
0: excellent well have fun and uh, we will uh, chat again next week cheers Phil thanks John and thank you all for, uh, for listening speak soon